Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Homefield Apparel and WicklesPickles.com. I am Brett Hudson, and I'm joined, as always, by Clint Lamb. Clint, we are we are finally to meaningful football. We're finally to postseason football, and we'll break all that down in a later podcast. But today, the the number one item on the agenda is Alabama 52, Arkansas three. But first, Clint, how you doing, man? How's it going? Doing fantastic, brother. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen a I don't an uglier 52 to three win in my life. You would think that 52 to three. Now, granted, I'm not saying that Alabama played terrible. Uh, you know, Mac Jones was efficient, but didn't throw a lot of touchdown passes. Uh, you talk about um, it just it didn't feel like a typical 52 to three type of game. It, it's it's kind of it's wild that Alabama was able to do what they're able to do. But we'll get into all that. But it's just I've been thinking about it, man. And and it's just the the more I look at that 49 point victory for Alabama, I'm like. I don't really know how we got here. You know what I'm saying? Well, well, most of that is because of the first quarter, right? Like they ran, they had 59 total yards in in the first quarter. Um, didn't didn't look very good in the first quarter, and they were still able to take a what 10 to three lead into the after the first quarter, thanks to Devontae Smith's 84 yard punt return for for a touchdown which we'll we'll talk about Devonte in a second it's 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 funny the the man the man has what like 1400 receiving yards i'm trying to pull up the the stats as i speak right now i probably should have done this beforehand i've almost got it he's got 1300 receiving yards and 15 touchdowns and a punt return touchdown is what kind of i want to say it changes the narrative but uh it definitely it definitely kind of added something to his, his resume. So it's funny that a punt return touchdown does that for a guy with 1,300 receiving yards and 15 receiving touchdowns. Um, but I, I think the I don't think you're wrong by, by any stretch of the imagination, especially when you look at the touchdowns. You know, they they had that 84-yard punt return touchdown. Um, they had that fumble. It led to a five-yard touchdown from Najee Harris, so the offense didn't really have to do a ton of work on, on that one. It just kind of – worked out this way where yeah Bama put 52 points on the board but seven of them were gifted to them by their defense and seven of them were special teams and 10 of them were special teams uh Will Reichard making a 45 yard field goal and then Smitty's 84 yard punt return so offensive points brings you down to what 35 yeah and it's funny that you mentioned uh Devontae Smith because I do think that that's pretty interesting um because he only had three catches for 22 yards on only four targets so by far his worst statistical output as far as receiving goes but he still made his impact felt as far as you know he was the spark right i mean the game was 3-3 uh they desperately needed something and and he provided it and 
the the more I think about the Heisman race, and I'm sure we'll, we might end up talking a little bit more about that because I guess it's getting to be about crunch time to, to really start diving into that and to see if we think, you know, one of these Alabama players is going to win. But, you know, a lot of people pointed to a couple of years ago that, like, I think it was like a 42-yard or 41-yard or something touchdown run from Tua Tungvaloa against LSU in Baton Rouge. Uh, as kind of one of his Heisman moments before he had kind of the injury issues and the breakdown against Georgia, and he was considered by a lot of people to be the front runner. Um, and and the reason that that was considered such a big Heisman moment is it it showed his impact in a way that you wouldn't expect. You wouldn't expect he's he was a very mobile quarterback, and he's he's got uh, you know some some you know uh, shiftiness or wiggle. I guess is call, the way Colin Cowherd said that he didn't have any wiggle, which was completely wrong. He's got plenty of wiggle, but he's not like a burner. So the way that he ran out from you know forty plus yards for a score, uh, it was just it was it was him making an impact in a way that you wouldn't really expect from Tua Tungavaloa. And with Devontae Smith. You know, a lot of people were questioning, why is he even back there? And well, we got our answer. And and he made an impact in a way that, you know, going into this year, even after, you know, Jalen Waddle got hurt, not a lot of people expected Devontae Smith to be adding to his Heisman numbers with a punt return for a touchdown. So I thought for him, the timing of it, it wasn't they were up thirty five to three and he added to it. It was him providing that spark to really start to get things going in the right direction and him doing it in a way that was kind of unexpected to a lot of people. I think that that certainly helps his, uh, you know, Heisman chances, or at least that's my opinion. What do you think? I think it does too, and I think a lot of that is just because of the position he plays. He's he's a wide receiver. You know, he's not someone who has. I mean, he he's done it uh, uh, once at least last year against Ole Miss, but he's not someone who has the benefit of putting up like 300 yards in a game like a, like a quarterback somewhat easily can, and, and even 400 or more. Um, it's just it's just not as easy for for a wide receiver to put up uh, the 300 and 400 yards. It really grabs people's eyes like it is for for a quarterback to do, which is why quarterbacks have won the award so so frequently lately, and also because um, the Heisman has like 900 people voting for it, and uh, several hundred of those people are kind of lazy and don't really understand what they're what they're trying to accomplish. But that's a different story. That's a different topic. Maybe we can get into it after the Heisman Trophy is given out. Um, to, to go back to Devontae's game, as you mentioned, three catches for 22 yards, by far his lowest production of, of the season. I'm pulling up his game log right now. He has at least 73 receiving yards in all but two games this year. And he had six for 63 in a touchdown against Texas A&M. So while, he, he didn't quite flirt with 75 in that one, as he did in almost every other game. Uh, it was far from his, his regular production. Bama's played 10 games this year. Smitty's had more than 140 receiving yards in six of them. He's had over 202 of them, and he has scored in seven of the 10 games as a, as a receiver. So very atypical for him to go three catches for 22 yards and no touchdowns. But I, I thought it was interesting what Saban said after the game, which was Arkansas decided to play a, a soft zone, kind of a rush three, drop eight type thing with some some buzzes and some cloud coverage and in the back to the point Arkansas and defensive coordinator Barry, Barry Odom decided to do was we are not going to get beat 
on 30-yard bombs to Smitty. That's just that's just not how we're going to get beat. If they want to complete eight-yard passes and 12-yard passes all day long and, and paper cut us to death, we're fine with that. We're not going to get beat on 30-yard bombs. And that's exactly what Alabama did. Miller Forrestal, six catches for 52 yards. John Mechie, five catches for 72 yards. Slade Bolden, four catches for 43 yards. Brian Robinson had four catches for 22 yards. Javon Baker had two catches for 15. You're noticing none of those are are huge yards per reception numbers. I mean, Miller Forrestal was 8.7. Slade was 10.8. B-Rob was 5.5. Smitty 7.3, Baker 7.5, but Matt Jones goes 24 for 29, and Bryce Young goes 3 for 4. So Alabama quarterbacks completed 27 of their 33 passes, otherwise known as 81%. It's a different way of Alabama throwing the ball than they have in the last few weeks because they've just been able to bomb on people for the last two months or so, but... Arkansas decided to take that away, and Alabama showed that they have the other weapons to take advantage of that. If you're going to be a team that decides to take away the long ball, Mac is willing to go to Miller Forstall when he's wide open. He's willing to hit Slade Bolden on a creative slot route. He's willing to dump off to Najee Harrison and Brian Robinson Jr. as he has all season long. So it's it's another dimension of this Alabama passing game, which kind of applies to Florida, which we'll get to in in a podcast later in the week. But to keep it specifically to this Arkansas game, it was very much a different kind of of passing attack for for Alabama. And and while it probably cast a little bit of water on Devontae Smith's Heisman candidacy going three catches for 22 yards when he's starting to build up all this momentum, and there were certainly people – who are watching the Arkansas game just to watch Mac Jones and Smitty, right? Uh, it probably going three catches for 22 yards probably hurt his Heisman chances a little bit. Uh, again, the punt return helped, but I think it was more important for, for the team perspective that Alabama showed if someone wants to take away Smitty, which is not necessarily what Arkansas did there. They were trying to take away deep passes more than they were trying to take away Smitty. But if, if someone down the road is either talented enough to hang with Smitty for an entire game or like a Brent Venables type has an excellent scheme that can corral Devontae Smith, Alabama does, in fact, have other weapons they can go to in, in the past game to still stay efficient and effective in, in that aspect of their team. And I think you raise a great point there. Um, when I saw what they were doing defensively, it, it reminded me somewhat – of what Auburn attempted to do against LSU with Joe Burrow and, and all those, you know, weapons in that LSU offense last year, where they pretty much said, you know, you're, we're not going to let you beat us. Um, we're not going to let Joe Burrow beat us with his arm, uh, getting the football to all these different weapons. And what it ended up happening is, is early in that game, uh, LSU's moving the football. They ended up putting up a lot of yardage, but they couldn't really score. And, you know, they started to figure out, okay, we can run the football with them doing this. We should be running the football. And that's where Clyde Edwards-Alaire ended up taking over, and he had a big day. And, you know, Joe Burrow with his legs had a couple of pretty big plays. And so, you know, it was pretty easily countered, and Alabama did the same thing. They just said, okay, uh, this is not going to be some huge flashy game uh, where – 
you know, you're, 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 like you said, you're hitting guys deep, you're throwing bombs, you're making it look pretty. Um, it was, it was kind of more of a grinded out. And I think that's why I have this perception of this game. Uh, because you would think 52 to three, you would think that the bombs were have Alabama was playing Alabama styled football, you know, throwing up bombs, breaking off big, uh, you know, touchdowns. And Jason McClellan did have the 80 yard score. Don't get me wrong. But outside of that, I don't think anybody, um, you know, had over, no, John Metchie did have a 20 yard gain or 23 yard gain, but outside of the, you know, the 80 yard and the 23, I don't think anybody had more than, uh, you know, 19 yards on any particular, you know, one particular play. And so it was just a different style and maybe that gives it the perception, but it's crazy that with like two minutes to go in the first quarter, the score's tied up three to three. And then by, you know, midway through the second quarter, it's like 31 to three or 35 to three or whatever it was. I don't really remember. I just know that just it, in the happened. say what God, it happened fast. It, it, and it's been, it's like, it was like that against Kentucky. I mean, it, it, this has happened multiple, I think it happened against LSU as well. I mean, it's like, it just, these things come in spurts where they can go half a quarter and put up four scores. Like it's, it's incredible what they're able to do. And granted, some of that stuff came from some, you know, you know, obviously Devonte Smith's punt return for a touchdown was one of those. And then you start adding with some other stuff, but yeah, just a very interesting game um, that I don't think – Mac didn't play to a point where you look at that and say, oh, this is going to hurt his Heisman chances because he threw this interception or he looked bad on a couple of throws. I don't think he – you know, he was fairly efficient and for the most part did what he needed to do and didn't try to do too much, but just a very strange outcome of this game. I have a number to to illustrate your point about this being kind of a grindy game. Uh, Alabama came into this game averaging – three passes of 30 yards or more per game. And their longest pass in this game was 23 yards. So you're, you're used to getting at least three kind of big explosions in, in a game from, from Alabama through the air. And then in, in this one, you, you never really got any. Um, so there, you're, you're right. Or at least I felt that way that the game was kind of, it was definitely a different style of, of game from Alabama. It's not one that, we're accustomed to from from them defensively but. though defensively what did you think about that i mean eight sacks against arkansas um how many did they have last week i think six yeah or, yeah so like they're they've had like 14 sacks in the last two weeks yeah, uh, there, there, there's a lot to get to on, on that side of the ball and before we do that we got to tell you all about home field apparel i'm wearing home field apparel as we speak just before we hit the we hit record. I got a new shipment in from Homefield Apparel, the Sad Husky baseball tee. It's it's Yukon gear. Go look it up. It's it's hilarious. Uh, Homefieldapparel.com has licensed, unique uh, collegiate apparel on the most comfortable hoodies, t-shirts, and sweatshirts that you will own. They have 13 Alabama items on there, plus items from over 100 schools. Again, don't fact check me on that. I don't know it for sure. It's all at homefieldapparel.com. You can use the promo code BAMABEAT to get 20% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. There's a lot to go into on the defensive side of the ball, but the thing I want to get your opinion on specifically was Jalen Moody. Uh, being the, the linebacker enthusiast that you are, Christian Harris goes out on the – on the first play, first defensive play of the game with a shoulder injury that 
could keep him out of the SEC championship game. We don't know for sure. It might, it might not. But Jalen Moody more or less plays the entire game since Christian Harris got hurt on the first defensive snap. He turns in seven tackles, which is tied for the team lead with Byron Young, another uh, productive game for him. Half a tackle for a loss from Jalen Moody, one forced fumble and one fumble recovery. Arkansas fumbled four times in this game, and and Jalen Moody is the only one to get both a forced fumble and a force and a fumble recovery in, in this game. I thought I thought he was pretty impressive, especially against the run. He seemed to to know what he was doing and be pretty aggressive in in that regard. But you 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 tend to analyze that more closely than I do. So I'll let you speak to what Jalen Moody showed on Saturday. Well, I, yeah, I, for the most part, I agree with you. Um, I, I think that you you kind of sum things up nicely. To me, watching him, when he first went out there, uh, I, I thought it was worth mentioning because, I, you know, you talk about some of these other guys, Shane Lee, who was a starter last year, Joshua McMillan, the, the six-year player who was supposed to start last year before his injury. You talk about Ollie Cahoe and the fact that everybody thought that he was going to be that big emerging star instead of Christian Harris was – Still didn't make any sense to me, but we'll move on from that. There were just, and then, you know, Demoy Kennedy is a guy who a lot of people were like, oh, I feel like that if Alabama wasn't so st- stacked that position, you know, he would be a guy who could make an immediate impact with his, you know, kind of resume from high school and stuff. I felt like he needed to add some weight, but there's just so many other guys that probably Alabama fans would have pointed to. If you just said Christian Harris is going to go out in this Arkansas game, who do you think steps up and becomes that guy playing next to Dylan Moses? I think Jalen Moody probably, you know, I understand from a depth chart perspective, he's been listed in the, that top two to three uh but a lot of people would have probably put him down there at four or five uh, and and yet he was the first guy up so seeing him out there i was like that's great for him and tr- and i could tell immediately or not tell immediately i'm talking about before he even took his first snap i'm like there's a reason he's out there uh, he he must have been playing extremely well in practice and doing you know whether it be you know understanding what he's supposed to be doing and all that stuff because the guys that he's moved ahead of to be that kind of first guy off the bench for at the will linebacker spot I thought was very important and then you start watching him and you're like this makes sense uh, you know I understand that one recruiting service had him as a former three star there was one rivals that had him as a two star so for Alabama. You typically, with all those stars next to guys' names, you don't see too many two stars uh, outside of maybe a special teams guy, kicker or punter or something, see significant action. And, and you know, but you immediately saw why uh, he was, like you said, very effective against the run. Certain guys have just a knack for being around the football, and I don't know what it is. They, you know, they call them ball magnets. Um, but you know, I, I've never understood it. My dad used to kind of kid around with me sometimes. I played linebacker in high school and he was like, Clint, you're always that guy that's just right there, right as the tackle gets made, but you don't make the tackle. You know, I was always the step late guy. Um, you know, and, and I felt like I had a very good understanding. That was probably my strong suit was that I had a very good understanding of the game, but just something about being able to find the football, the football finds you. It, it kind of starts to feel like you saw that with Jalen Moody and I, I found it interesting. He he wasn't fantastic in coverage, but he was solid. I mean, I don't I, I didn't see anything that stood out that was like, oh, that's a huge liability. And I think that's extremely important too. We remember him having the interception in the eight A game a few years ago or a couple of years ago. Um, and and people will sit there and say, oh, I bet he's going to be a good linebacker in coverage. And 
surprisingly, he's not a, a liability there. You know, if you're going to be strong against the run, and then you can also just sit there and say, well, I'm not going to sacrifice too much being in pass coverage. He's not Christian Harris or anything close to Christian Harris as far as his raw ability in pass coverage, but he's got a great feel and a great understanding of what it is that he needs to be doing in both, you know, against the run and against the pass. So, you know, I, Christian Harris, not having him, he's been a, a huge breakout guy. He's kind of been what everybody had hoped and had, had thought that, that Dylan Moses would be uh, this year, even though I think Dylan Moses continues to to show some signs of improvement. It's just, it's been Christian Harris, right? And, and so losing him, that, that's a that's a pretty big loss, and you hope that he's able to play. But if you're an Alabama fan watching Jalen Moody, you feel a lot better about your depth and and the production that you can get from that spot. Should Christian Harris not be able to go? The the thing about Jalen Moody that really hits me is he's he's an awesome story. You kind of briefly mentioned the the recruiting aspect with with Jalen. He was a, a three star prospect out of Conway. South Carolina, and he is on the same rock. He was, according to the 247 Sports Composite, he was the number 48 inside linebacker in the class of 2018. He is on the same roster with the number seven inside linebacker in the same class, Ale Kaho. The number five inside linebacker in the 2019 class, Shane Lee, and two top 10 linebackers from the 2020 class, Jackson Bratton and Demoy Kennedy. Yet, when Christian Harris goes down, Jalen Moody's the, the first dude on, on the field, and he played well. And another thing about Moody's recruitment, he was uh, in the nation in the 2018 class, number 1,197 prospect overall. The people in that general vicinity signed with Virginia, Boston College, TCU, Northwestern, Wake Forest, FAU, Oregon State. There's a couple of Georgia Techs in here. Duke, Minnesota. That's the kind of range we're talking about here. And this guy, for whatever reason, he he attracts the eye of Alabama. He shows up, he develops, and and he becomes this kind of player who, uh, like you said, it's it's clear that He's the guy that Alabama wants as their number three inside linebacker right now because he's he's developed. He's earned that for some reason. It's it's an incredible story because so much of Alabama is based on just loading the roster with top 150 recruits, letting iron sharpen iron and, and see which cream rises to the top. And then there's someone like Jalen Moody who takes the hard path, takes the way that – a lot of people of, of his caliber did not have the opportunity to take. And even those, if they did have the opportunity to take it, they may not have taken it, but he did it. And and he worked at it and developed himself into being what he is now. And I think that, that a similar story arc has obviously followed Mac Jones and he's taken off nationally, but the Jalen Moody's done the, done the same thing and, and deserves a lot of credit for it. Cause he, he looks, he looked pretty good against Arkansas. He looked, pretty good um very very impressive and you can imagine there's there's only more ahead of him in in the future We'll, we'll talk more about the defense on the other side of the break you're listening to the bama beat podcast the holidays can definitely add some unwanted stress these days everything is go 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 non-stop hustle has taken over and it's kind of a lot 
There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the cans or bottles even turn blue when chilled to perfection. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process, cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged so it's actually made to chill. As these games are getting hotter, reach for the mountain cold refreshment of a cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered to your door. Go to get.coorslight.com and find local delivery options near you. So when you want to hit reset on your busy life, reach for the beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And we're back on the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. Wickles Pickles, pickles, relishes, okras, a sandwich spread, and much more. It's a family recipe that is 90 years in the making right here in the state of Alabama. Pickles with a kick. Wouldn't it be nice to to have a little bit of pickle action and also give you a little bit of heat? You can think of a lot of dishes that would – would benefit from that. I think Hunter puts Wickles in chicken salad, I, I think. And, and you can kind of envision how you got to have the little chopped up pickles in, in a pickle sa- in a pickle salad, in a chicken salad. But if it brought a little heat to the equation, that, that would that would add something. If you're if you're a spicy food person, it's it's worth a go. Go to wicklespickles.com to see all of their products. You can also find their products on the pickle aisle of your local grocery store. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. So Jalen Moody was clearly the highlight of of Alabama's defensive performance in holding Arkansas to 188 total yards in the modern era. Like I, I feel like we have spent all year saying these kinds of defensive performances aren't really realistic anymore. And then they end the regular season by doing it. So... That, that shows up. But, I mean, jokes aside, these things are not realistic. This is not a reasonable expectation to hold every single week. This was just Alabama's defense performing arguably as well as it has all season long, even when you adjust for for the competition. What, where, where else did you – were your eyes drawn when watching Alabama's defense? The defensive line for me, whether it be the outside linebackers or the interior guys um, – Christian Barmore <laughs> was just a unit. Uh, not, not too many pass rushing snaps. I think he only had you know mid teens somewhere or low teens, uh, but you know he looked fantastic in those limited snaps uh, or limited opportunities. You talk about Will Anderson and the fact that he was able to add to his sack total. Christopher Allen. You, what you're doing right now is you're seeing Alabama get complimentary pressure from the outside linebackers and the interior guys to give you an exterior and interior, you know, complimentary pass rush. And that makes it extremely difficult. You know, a couple of years ago when they had Ryan Anderson and they had Tim Williams and they had Jonathan Allen, it's like, you know, you, you only have five offensive linemen and you've got, you know, several players who demand more than just one offensive lineman as far as the attention you're giving him. And yet, they don't have the ability to do that because there's so many of them. So that's kind of where you're looking at as far as the improvement uh, from the pass rush. I think that's going to be huge for Alabama moving forward, and it's going to be huge this weekend against Florida. I still think Florida's going to have some success offensively, and we'll talk about that more tomorrow. But just having the ability to have multiple guys get after the quarterback makes Alabama's roster, not just the defense, way more dangerous and you know, you can tell, you look at the difference between Alabama and maybe a Georgia and a Florida. 
when they played Arkansas, and you can't always you know take this sort of these sort of things away uh, from every game, but you know Arkansas was able to put up mid thirty point you know range uh, on Florida's defense, which we all know is is terrible. So that's not you know overly surprising, but you know they they put up sixty uh, plus, but at the same time they don't have a defense that could consistently stop Arkansas's offense. You talk about Georgia and the fact that they struggle with them for a half. Uh, I just feel like that Alabama's defense is starting to show signs of life to a point, and we and I've been saying that for weeks. I mean, that almost that exact same phrase. So it's it's past the point of showing signs of life. They've got plenty of life. They're, they're, to me, they're there. It's just a matter of you know making sure that when you play an offense like Florida's, it's not about dominating and getting eight sacks and and you know doing to to Florida's incredible offense what you did to Arkansas's. That's just not going to happen. What it comes down to is just making sure that you're getting those crucial key stops enough to create a gap because I don't think there's any way Florida's uh, uh, defense is stopping Alabama's offense. But with this particular game, you didn't really have to have that. You got to have pretty much a sack party. Uh, but it just it was a it was an excellent performance. What were some of your takeaways? I think the best thing I can say for Alabama's defensive line is it would be hard to power rank the members of the defensive line, and maybe we force ourselves to do that at, at some point before the season is over. But like just just run through it in, in your head really quickly with LeBron Ray being injured and, and and not much of a factor on on Alabama's defensive line right now who would who would be your top defensive lineman you could make a case for byron young uh, albeit in limited snaps you could make uh, the probably the strongest cases for justin aboidby but you could also make a case for Fidarian mathis and and the way christian barmore has been playing right now if if he keeps that up through three postseason games should alabama make it to the national championship game especially if they uh, win the SEC championship game and and get to the national title game that way, you could absolutely make a case for for him as well. I think the the best thing that I can say about Alabama's defensive line is that power ranking the members of that unit would be really really difficult to do, and that's not always been the case. In in recent years, Alabama's sometimes had just absolute standout stars. And sometimes had pretty clear tiers to to their defensive lines. Uh, I, I think that the Quinnen Williams year stands on its own. No one was touching what Quinnen Williams was doing in 2018, and then uh, it felt to me like Isaiah Bugs was was somewhat clearly the the second most productive defensive lineman on on that group. Then you get into younger versions of LeBron Ray and Raquan Davis and, and some others. In previous years, like Raekwon's sophomore season was was a big one. Um, he was a big part of that team. Jonathan Allen had a huge year when he was a senior. Um, nobody really competed with him. That was almost another uh, Quinn and Williams type year for, for him. So in recent seasons, Alabama's defensive line has had some standout performers or at least a somewhat clear line of progression from player to player in terms of snap counts being justified based clearly on what we see on the field. And, and this year, I don't know that that's as clear cut because, uh, again, there's there's a lot of ways to make cases for several of Alabama's defensive linemen to be among the best on the team, unless you disagree. No, I completely agree. If you, if you held a gun to my head and you say, you know, pick one, um, 
I'm probably getting shot because I wouldn't be able to do it. But it, <laughs> I, if there was, I, be, I think. Do we need to do this? Do we need to just power rank the D lineman real quick? Uh, you know, it, it, I'll tell you my top two, what it would come down to. And this is the one that I couldn't decide. I think I would be letting kind of expectations overcome results. Maybe, maybe, but I think there's an argument to be made for both, but it might not Christian Barmore to me, just, he wrecks havoc. He just, if he could ever, and he's getting more consistent. So the dominant plays are becoming more, you know, you know, are occurring more often. And that to me is what makes him really just start to really stand out. But then the other guy, the second guy for me in particular, I know you must mention Justin, the boy and I've really liked what I've seen from him, but, and this is wild. I would have never in a million years thought I would have said this prior to the season. I would have thought solid rotational piece, but Fedarian Mathis, man, I, I just feel like that he's been, you know, pretty solid as far as being a, an interior pass rusher. I think he's been very solid against the run and just, you know, I, I want to say right now he's sitting somewhere, maybe 250 snaps this year, maybe a little bit more somewhere in that range. And I just feel like that he has been, consistent every time i turn the tape on and i start trying to pay attention to the defensive line uh you know really looking for disruption i feel like i i'm making a quick mark in my book about Fedarian mathis more times than than really any other defensive lineman which is why i say you know christian barmore and just his ceiling might be skewing because you know we have these kind of high expectations for him coming in and the fact that he's kind of starting to live up to that i feel like is making it like oh there's the guy that we all thought um, kind of like if you compared if Dylan Moses started to play really, really well in the last few weeks and you were asked the same question, it's like well, everybody expected Dylan Moses to be one of the top linebackers in the country, even though over the course of the entire season, you'd probably say Christian Harris has been the much better linebacker. You might have that bias because of your expectations coming in. It's the same situation here, in my opinion, with with Christian Barmore. He's starting to play like that star we expected him to be. He's been solid all year. It's just light consistency. But with Fedarian Math, it's just steady. Every single week, I'm not seeing him screw up a lot. I'm seeing him do his job, the, a lot of the unsung stuff, but being effective both ways. So those would be the top two guys, and then just a um, huge mesh of of you know guys that I, I couldn't really pick. How would you rank? What, do you have a clear-cut number one right now is my first question, but then also do you think that if we actually try to power through this that you could do it? Uh, no and no, to, to be perfectly honest. Um I could probably do it in tiers, but if I had to go straight one, two, three, four, five, six, I I don't know that I could I don't know that I could do it in a way that I felt good about it. Even if I did it in tiers, I wouldn't feel great about it. Uh, like if I were to do tiers, uh, I would say the top of the pyramid is probably uh See, why did why did I say this out loud? Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> um, I, I make terrible life decisions. I would probably put the top of my pyramid as Mathis and Avoidby, followed very closely by Byron Young, Christian Barmore. Um, okay. Okay. And then probably Tim Smith and DJ Dale below that. Am I missing someone? Uh, and then maybe. Burrows on a fourth tier. Yeah, and then I think just from the limited snaps, I mean, you're just you're yeah. you're not seeing anything from LeBron Ray. So yeah, I, I can't. I don't know what to do with LeBron Ray right now because he's barely playing. So uh, I, I would rather not put him on the pyramid right now, just because he's he's barely playing, and I don't know 
to what extent his availability actually is. So uh, if I were to make a, a pyramid of Alabama defensive linemen, Matheson and Boykby would be at the top. Um, Byron Young and Barmore would be on the second tier. Tim Smith and DJ Dale on the third. Um, and then Jamil Burroughs on the fourth. I'll, the only thing that I would do is, is flip Christian Barmore and uh, and Justin Aboyby, and then we're pretty much right there at the same point. And I'll say this. I'll continue to reiterate. He is a true freshman. He is still learning, and that's why Tim Smith is not at the very top of the list. Of the list. But you mark my words. Before it's all said and done, I wouldn't be surprised if it's as early as next year, even with all of the talent that Alabama has on the defensive line. But Tim Smith is a potential game wrecker. And I've made the comparisons to to Marcel Darius. I'll continue to do that. Not they're not the exact same prospect, but their ability as far as their athleticism for their size, their ability to stop the run, provide quality interior pass rush for a big man, and then just to they're they're the kind they're the sort of players that command so much attention, or, or they're at least or at least Tim Smith is going to, and you can already kind of start to see it. Def, uh, opposing offenses are starting to pay him a lot more attention, and that'll continue to be the case for from from really now, in my opinion, until the end of his Alabama career. It will just continue to increase. I I just I absolutely love what he's going to eventually be able to be for Alabama. Just he he's got a I don't know him personally, haven't talked to him. Uh, he's a true freshman. I haven't really been around the program much this year. Uh, been more so doing it from afar, letting you and Cecil and everybody else handle that aspect. Y'all do such a great job, but from just watching the tape. Tim Smith is a hustler. You know, he's kind of got that Christian. He's a more under control Christian Barmore in a lot of ways where you'll get the effort, uh, but just the effort. He's a lot smarter with his, you know, uh, I wouldn't say smarter necessarily. Just he's a a lot more maybe calculated as far as what he wants to do. He's not just kind of head on fire, uh, very aggressive, but does it very under control. So can't say enough good things about him. And it's like you look at this defensive line, you're like, how – I don't even know where this defensive line goes next year. Like, how do you find enough snaps for all these guys who deserve it? Uh, I really don't know. But I think that you hit the nail on the head, at least for the most part, as far as your tiers. And as of right now, uh, I would flip those two guys that I mentioned, and then I would put the asterisk next to Tim Smith saying, be ready for this guy to shoot up this list. You know, uh, maybe not this year. You know, we're getting to the end, but – I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if in the Florida game or the you know the college football playoff, if that ends up happening, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point you saw this coming out party for Tim Smith and you're like, wow, this guy just absolutely murdered that game. No, I I, I agree, and I can't I can't really take much offense to switching a Boyd B and Barmore just because Barmore has been so productive lately. He's got four tackles for a loss in in his last three games, two against Arkansas, one against LSU, and one against Auburn. So if if that's indicative of him figuring it out and he continues that kind of production through the postseason, however long that may last, then then yes, you'll you'll absolutely be right in putting Barmore on that first tier and bumping a boy B down to to the second. And if that that comes to pass, it wouldn't surprise me. It it just would be what it is. Um there's a lot to go into for the the Florida game. So we're going to save that for the next podcast. But we're also, oh, this, this pandemic schedule is, is screwy, man, because it's SEC championship game week, but it's also signing day, early signing day 
is on Wednesday. Um, a good bit of Alabama's class is going to come in on Wednesday. Not all of it, but but a good bit of it. Uh, the, some of the pieces that are still to be determined are going to come in on Wednesday, but some are going to come in later. Like, is it, did I did I read this correctly? Isn't Tunmis Adelaide, the defensive lineman, going to commit on Thursday? Yes, I believe so. Okay. That's what I. And, that's the, what I got from it. And, and then there's the safety in Tallahassee, Terry and Arnold, who is going to wait until February to to announce his. So, of of the uncommitted prospects that that Alabama's trying to secure, there are still some that won't announce on Wednesday. But but as of right now, Alabama has what is it? Twenty one commits. Twenty two. 22. 22 commits. Most of them are, are going to sign on Wednesday. They'll, they'll be in the boat and, and official. Um, almost all of them, actually. So, so Bama's going to have pretty much almost all of its recruiting work done by the end of the day on Wednesday. Again, they could add Tunmus Adelaide. They could add Terry and Arnold. And that this kind of new recruiting calendar gives – Alabama and everyone else, to be fair, a few weeks to know what they have in the bag and and see where they can possibly add to it. So they may just kind of pop up on a new prospect in that January recruiting period and see if they can add one more to, to the boat. But I, I think most of Alabama's signing class is going to be solidified on, on Wednesday. And when they do so, uh, we can quickly do – signing class uh, preview before we get out of here. When they do so, I think they're going to be pulling in one of the better line of scrimmage classes that they've had in, in recent history. People who were listening to the podcast over the summer will remember that they went on a spree with offensive linemen. They have the number one and two tackles in the nation, J.C. Latham and Tommy Brockermeyer. Tommy Brockermeyer's twin brother, James, is the number one center in the country. Uh, Terrence Ferguson is the number two guard in the country, all committed to Alabama, all expected to sign on Wednesday. On the defensive line, um, I think Dallas Turner is looking more like an outside backer to me. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. He's going to be an edge guy for sure. He's he's a top 10 prospect uh, listed as a weak side defensive end on 247. Most of the time, guys that they classify as Weeks IDEs are going to be outside backers at Bama, but Damon Payne, a five-star D lineman from Michigan, uh, expected to sign with Bama on Wednesday. Uh, Monkel Goodwine's a top 100 guy out of Maryland, expected to sign with Alabama on Wednesday. Tim Keenan out of Birmingham, and Quinn Barnes out of, out of Montgomery. So I, I think, if assuming all those guys follow through with Bama and do it on Wednesday. And in locking up an overwhelming majority of their signing class on Wednesday, they're going to be locking up one of the better lines of scrimmage halls they've had in their recent history, which says a lot. Absolutely. And that's, to me, that's how Alabama stays so dominant. I mean, is they constantly are reloading in the trenches each and every year. And what they're going to be losing with their offensive line, with Alex Leatherwood, with Deontay Brown, with Landon Dickerson, 
Um, you know, you're looking at a situation where they're going to need to reload it's on the, you know, with their offensive line and their defensive line is still going to be, I don't care if even two or three guys end up leaving, they're still going to end up being loaded. They'll just need to replenish a little bit of depth. But if they only lose, you know, maybe one, if any, um, then I just, it's going to be incredible to see how things kind of start to shake out next year. And there will probably be, uh, you know, there, there always is, you know, departures or guys, you know, I don't know. It it all it all ends up working itself out in the end, one way or the other. But um, it just it's it's absolutely wild what Alabama's been able to do, and then replacing the the you know probable production that's going to be lost following this year with Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle only a couple of year or you know a year removed from losing Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Alabama desperately needed more depth to receiver position. They've done that in this class, so you know we'll we'll kind of cover this stuff a lot more extensively once we get the official signatures, uh, you know, or the news of the official signatures kind of uh, put out, uh, I guess you'd say, and, and we'll kind of just take it from there. But Brett, you got anything else, brother? No, I think, I think I'm good to go. We'll, we'll have a lot for that, uh, that Florida podcast coming up later in the week, breaking down that game, the, the usual record book update, which wasn't as difficult to do this week since, uh, Najee Harris and Devontae Smith both had kind of understated games, but we'll we'll do the record book update all the same, and then some some intense breakdown of of Florida and the in the next podcast. And I also wonder if the playoff rankings are going to matter for our uh, purposes because it kind of depends on how far Florida drops, right? Like if Florida makes a monstrous monstrous drop and kind of takes themselves out of playoff contention from that way, then you feel really good about Bama getting in, even if they do lose, which right. frankly, you probably could feel good about Bama getting in, even with a loss anyway. But if Alabama drops to say, or, or sorry, if Florida drops to say like 10 or maybe nine to keep them ahead of, of Georgia uh, or eight to keep them ahead of Georgia, just to honor the, the head to head, there if they think the the resumes are comparable and you go to head to head um you could see where a a a significant enough drop from florida would mean that bama's more or less already in no matter what yeah i completely agree with you there Um, maybe it becomes uh significant for us maybe it it doesn't point being there's there's a lot to discuss on the podcast coming later this week very quickly just you know who ends up being ranked higher usc or florida Oh, um, USC. Okay. Okay. I just, I, I kind of wondered, um, cause I've kind of gone back and forth on it. I, I would not be surprised if it was Florida and that's probably going to upset a lot of people, but I agree with you or I have agreed with you. I've kind of gone back and forth that at this point, I think they start making that USC push, not necessarily to become a playoff contender. I don't think that just think that it's possible. They get them up in that range where, for branding purposes, you know, you got a top 10 ranked undefeated Pac-12, you know, champion in USC taking on whoever and whatever game, you know, Rose Bowl or whatever. So just kind of was curious about that. All right, that's going to do it for another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Homefield Apparel. Tomorrow, or yeah, I guess tomorrow is the plan. We'll be diving into some actual X's and O's, Alabama, Florida, key matchups, what's going to end up happening. It's going to be a blast. Can't wait. We've gone through a lot of these 52 to 3, 55, you know, 17, 42, 13 kind of games recently. But, uh, and Alabama could end up handing Florida a huge loss. I don't know. 
but we're going to be breaking it down regardless and really diving into the weeds a little bit more with uh, the podcast coming up. So stick around for that. Once again, this has been the Bama Beat Podcast. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.